Welcome to the Thought Feeder Podcast. This is episode 21. I am Joel Goodman. With me, as always, is the incorrigible John Stephen Stansel. <laughs> we are so excited to have Bentley McBentelson on this show with us today. Uh, if you spend any time online, if you spend any time paying attention to major food brands, you, you'll definitely have seen work that Bentley has done. Bentley, we're super excited to have you on the show today. Thanks for being with us. Yeah, thanks for having. So to start out, can you kind of give us a little bit of your background in terms of how you got into the work that you do, the digital marketing that you do in the in the food slash fast food space? Yeah, most certainly. So the majority of what I've done over the years has been in the uh, QSR space. Uh, so quick service restaurants, fast food. So if you are a vegan or vegetarian, you likely would not have seen anything that I've done if I've done my job correctly. <laughs> but I've definitely touched on and worked on some very interesting campaigns over the years. So I used to be a digital marketing manager over at KFC US, and then I was a social marketing manager for Longhorn Steakhouse. Currently, I'm the uh, digital marketing director for Long John Silver's in charge of digital and delivery based in here in Louisville, Kentucky. My uh, career trajectory was a little bit weird. I am the tender age of 36, which means that I came into being right around the time that the internet did. So as I was growing up in eighth grade, I, one of my teachers taught me how to write very, very simple HTML. So I started writing basic websites. And by the time I was in high school, the internet started to become more of a revenue generator. And I was able to create banner ads for people and be able to actually plug them in because I knew how to write HTML. Also during this time was, it was before cable internet was a thing. So most people had dial up, some few folks had DSL, but video on the internet didn't exist because it was just too, it was too much information to pass over such a light tube. So I, I ended up getting a very weird niche where I was really great at video compression so yeah. I could get a two megabyte, like six minute file online and have it not look, you know, artifact to hell. Nice. Which was a very unique situation back then. Uh, that was something that a lot of people couldn't do. So I ended up uh, getting hired to do a lot of those sorts of jobs. And then when I graduated high school, I ended up going to film school because I wanted to be a filmmaker and I specialized in uh, film and video production. And uh, while I was there uh, in Manhattan, I started doing freelance work and video very much so started taking over the internet. And I got more and more into the marketing world. After I graduated, I actually got a job in higher ed and in the instructional technology department. Uh, so I built online classes for about a year and a half. And then I moved into a market research role with an Omnicom agency. While I was with this agency, and I was with this agency for five and a half years, it was not very creative work. Uh, so I would just kind of do fun projects on the side. And I started making videos about KFC because I love Colonel Sanders and I love Original Recipe Chicken. And I would make videos about KFC and then post them online. And eventually I ended up actually getting a KFC tattoo. So on the back of my leg is a picture of Colonel Sanders with a crossed chicken bones with a banner that says original recipe. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's awesome. <laughs> thanks. When, uh, so when I got it the next week, the New York times put out a social post asking for pictures of New Yorkers with their tattoos. So I submitted it to an online gallery of about like, I think 270 people ended up submitting to it. And then about a month later, they picked three of those people to actually print in the Sunday edition of the New York times. And I was one of those people. 
So uh, KFC uh, at that point had known who I was uh, because I'd been creating all this content for free for them. <laughs> they asked me to uh, submit to like an online competition of creating a bunch of videos and photos around various dares around the Double Down Sandwich. And I'm not sure if you guys are aware of what Double Down Sandwich is. Oh, I'm in the <laughs> South. I'm well aware. <laughs> all right. So for, for the listeners who do not know what the Double Down Sandwich is, is um, whenever you get a chicken sandwich, what's the biggest issue that you run into? I'll tell you what the biggest issue that you run into. It's all that bread. All that bread getting in your way between you and that delicious chicken. So what the double down sandwich does is it gets rid of that middleman. It gets rid of the bread and just is two pieces of fried chicken breast with cheese, bacon, and cheese sauce in between. And it was delicious. It was absolutely amazing. And it's still huge overseas. They don't sell it in the U.S. anymore, unfortunately. But I ended up submitting a, a few videos. If you go to my YouTube channel, you can see some of those videos. Um, one of them was um, like, what's your double down dance? So I ended up doing the uh, Charlie Chaplin thing with like two forks and making the uh, double down's feet and doing a little <laughs> dance. And then another one was my double down date. So like I swiped right on a double down sandwich and ended up going on a date with it. Um, and then another one was just a day in the life your day with a double down sandwich so it was me waking up with a double down sandwich and then going into work with it uh, and it was ridiculous so the majority of this stuff i filmed like uh in my off time or uh, just on my lunch break so a lot of it was filmed in the office that i worked in at the time but after i did that they flew me down to louisville and then said hey if you're ever interested like if we ever had a job opening would you be interested in working for us and i said yeah i think that'd be super cool <laughs> you're like no no i don't know i don't think i really like kfc that much exactly <laughs> I'm not sure if you guys have a successful business model, but the, the cool thing about it was I had, uh, while I, I did work for a market research uh, company and we did do some light social listening and emails, uh, I did not have brand experience whatsoever. So over the next three years, I uh, really learned the in and outs of what goes into digital marketing for a large QSR brand. Uh, figured out sort of the ins and outs of how all that worked. The uh, creative agency that they work with, Wyden and Kennedy, is a world-renowned, excellent creative agency who came up with a lot of ridiculous, great ideas. And I did a lot of really cool stuff there. After the three-year mark, I had wanted to get some experience um, leading people. So I ended up going down to Longhorn Steakhouse, which is uh, part of Darden. So they own Olive Garden, Capitol Grill, all that stuff, and ended up leading the social team down there. And the social creative agency for them was Fleischman Hillard, who's another excellent agency. And then uh, about eight months ago, I switched back up to Louisville for uh, Long John Silvers, being their director of digital and delivery. And our creative agency is now Baldwin And. So Bentley, you've had a illustriously fast career <laughs> where you've done all kinds of, of great things. And this has been over the span of... It was like, how many years has, has this been from KFC to Long John Silver's? Probably about five years, about six five years, years, five and yeah. a half years, something like that. The primary course of your work is is like engaging with audiences over social media and websites and I mean, with physical products and things like that. I'd love to hear like kind of your thought process of you as you've approached these different jobs. Are there certain things that you've kept in mind in terms of how to engage these audiences, especially because like, I mean, Long John Silver's is way different from Longhorn Steakhouse, which is pretty different from KFC in terms of even just the product that they have, you know, not even considering that like, you know, you actually go and sit down at Longhorn Steakhouse versus versus doing fast food for, for Long John Silver's and KFC. What are, what are sort of the, 
I don't know what 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 drives you in terms of trying to figure out how best to engage those audiences and how do you think about those those processes? Yeah, well, there's uh, with digital marketing with uh, uh, restaurants, there's a few different aspects to the interactions with people online. The first is the, the very basic one, which is customer service, social customer service, digital customer service. People expect nowadays to be able to reach brands, to reach help through Facebook, through Twitter, through Instagram, through email, through a website, hmm. and making sure that that's a cohesive ecosystem where somebody can reach out to you, get an, an immediate response, and then get a very quick resolution is something that's incredibly important in our industry. And it is also something that's incredibly underlooked. A lot of people think, oh yeah, you can just respond to people and like get their information. But it often ends up being a fairly involved process. There's a, a, a good amount of people who will just reach out and say, I had a bad experience you know, at your brand. And then your job is to figure out what that bad experience was, where it happened, when it happened, and then also get contact information so a resolution can be put in place whether it's a, a call from the manager, a gift card, or a refund, which ends up taking a, a good amount of time. One of the most impressive things about uh, Darden is they have entire groups dedicated to just social customer service. So when I was down there, I think there was something like 16 people employed just to do all of the social guest recovery for all of the Darden brands. When I was at KFC, there was an entire agency dedicated to it. Wow. So yeah, for our, for our audiences, mostly in higher ed, we're all teams of one doing this. Like, and especially, I think it's important. Like, that you talk about like sixteen people doing this. Where I, I think, especially for higher ed leadership, they don't understand that. They, you know, don't think that it requires so much time and effort and and manpower to be able to to handle those sort of things. So sixteen is makes my jaw drop. <laughs> Yeah, so like uh, uh, right now at Long John Silver's, it's also just a, a team of one. It's uh, me and occasionally uh, the, the VP of marketing, crazily wow. enough, will jump in and actually respond <laughs> just because they, they haven't been you know prepped for that sort of a thing. But when it comes to higher ed, especially when uh, there's a crisis that gets put in place, you definitely need more than a team of one on social. Uh, my mind immediately goes to uh, Penn State who every like two or three years has some sort of like major crisis or controversy yeah. um, happen with them. I, I, I can only imagine how deluded they get with people reaching out to them. Some of them uh, with, you know, valid complaints about tuition reimbursement or maybe like a, a class got dropped from the schedule. And then some people just complaining because they like, they just hate the university. Hmm. But all of those people need to be heard and they need to be recognized and they need to be resolved, whatever the issues are. And when it comes to fast food, you know, a lot of people come in through the doors. Uh, so right. like any of my QSR jobs or uh, casual dining, which is what Longhorn Steakhouse is, their volume plays. People aren't sitting there for hours on end. Even if you come uh, to a steakhouse to sit down, you're not going to be there for more than an hour or two. Uh, and it's really a, a, a numbers sort of a game. So with that sort of a volume of people, issues do arise and figuring out how to properly um, speak to these people is incredibly important. Another aspect of uh, digital interactions with people are just basic questions. Are you open? What's your menu? What are the allergens in X, Y, or Z? Things that you think would be incredibly, incredibly basic. People want to be able to, again, reach out to a brand and immediately have answers to their questions. Hmm. Even if it's on your website, they want somebody to respond or they want it to exist within the platform that they're reaching out for you on. 
you know, any e-commerce expert will tell you that the more clicks somebody has to do, or as soon as you click out of a website, the bounce rates are incredibly high. The yeah. same's also true uh, with this sort of stuff. If it takes time for somebody to figure out when you're open or what your closest location is, they're just going to give up. And that's one of the things that companies like cable companies rely on, you not wanting to click around or search enough in order to find a number in order to actually reach out to somebody because that ends up costing them money. Yeah. And then another aspect of the digital marketing is awareness. And that's where the, the cool stuff comes into play and also mm. where the advertising stuff comes into play. So on social media, every brand is vying for attention. That's why hashtag holidays are even a thing because yeah. brands do them. And then advertising is also something that is done a lot for attention. And then stunts is another thing that's done for attention. Start slash PR plays. So I've had experience in, in sort of all of those aspects of the digital interactions with consumers. Yeah. Oh, man. I, okay. I've got one from a social media standpoint. I've got a ton of questions. <laughs> Two, you know, back to to what you're saying about, you know, searching for the website and going to social. It's it's such a it's such a common practice in higher ed because all of that relevant information that students, prospective students, their parents want is often so hidden on our website, you know, just to find out what day the first day of classes is, is not anywhere on most universities' homepages. So rather than going, you know, three or four clicks down to find it, the first response is go to social media and ask that. So I think that's something we all have to be real cognizant of, especially like the time allotted for your social media manager who's answering those sort of questions. Like a lot of times the social media manager or the person, whoever's behind the account for the university, they're not even trained in the same ways that recruitment mm -hmm. officers are, that, you know, they're, your admissions officers are, or, I mean, they have to be a person that knows every single thing about the university. And so many times you're not provided the, the, the education to do that or the training to do that sort of a thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, one person can't know it all. Like I, I used to run social for the Texas department of transportation and people would tweet me and say, you know, what's the, what's the traffic like on main street today? And it's like, I'm in Austin, Texas. You're in El Paso. <laughs> like I have no <laughs> idea. I, um, but anyhow, let, let's talk a little bit more, more Bentley about, you know, you, you mentioned stunts and I think stunts is, you know, one of the things that gets most, most attention. You can you talk a little bit about some of the uh, brand awareness stunts that you were involved in and, and, uh, which ones you were most proud of? Yeah, most certainly. Uh, so between KFC Longhorns and Longhorn Steakhouse, I've done quite a bit. Uh, uh, Long John Silver's I onboarded right when COVID hit. So all of those plans have definitely been put on hiatus until uh, we're out of the current pandemic. But with KFC, I did a lot of very interesting things. Uh, uh, the one that I think I'm most proud of is uh, probably the the interaction with WWE and Colonel Sanders uh, while I was there. So the the actual first stunt with them started right when I got hired. So I didn't have a lot of input on that, but all the ones afterwards, I was usually the go-to WWE guy. And my favorite thing uh, that happened was on one of the shoots, I was, uh, I was up in, I want to say it was Pittsburgh, having a drink with our WWE contact. And we were just kind of talking and he was talking about how WWE 2K is going to be coming out in about like nine months. And I think I was two or three bourbons deep. And I was like, Keith, like, what do we need to do in order to get Colonel Sanders in the WWE video game? And he just goes, oh, you're interested in getting Colonel Sanders in the WWE video game? And I said, yeah, of course I'm interested in getting Colonel Sanders in the <laughs> WWE video game. 
and he's just like, all right. So then we ended up getting Colonel Sanders in the WWE video game, and it was like one of the lightest lift, highest impact things that I've ever done for the brand because it ended up being like just an incredibly great Easter egg and fun thing for you know the the the, the fans. And that's really what it's all about, is you want to be able to surprise and delight people, make people kind of chuckle a little bit and just enjoy your brand just a little bit more because you show that you understand them and are able to connect to them on a level outside of here's chicken by this chicken. Yeah, and, and that's one, one thing, too, I, I've noticed a lot, especially with your work with KFC, is so many collaborations with other brands. And like you said, that one's kind of a light lift, too, but such a profound impact. And, you know, personally, I, seeing some of those myself, I've, I've kind of racked my brain, like, what sort of collaborations can we do as a university with local businesses yep. to kind of delight our, our, our audience and, and have that sort of connection? Because, you know, every college town has that certain, you know, local restaurant or something that people are really attached to. How can we build those connections? So can, can you address a little bit more of that and, and some more of the collaborations that you've taken part in? Yeah, so nothing exists in a silo is really the, the the moral of this entire story. The reason that digital is so interesting is something doesn't just exist on YouTube. It doesn't just exist on Facebook. It doesn't just exist on the dot com. Uh, it needs to be an entire package. It needs to be an entire personality. And uh, when you're able to collaborate with somebody or something and uh, break out of the sort of rut isn't the right word for it, but uh, uh, pattern, the normal pattern, of, oh, uh, here's a commercial, they're going to advertise a product, uh, we're going to go in and, and get that product. People get excited. People get excited when they recognize something, love something, and then they see it interact in another section of their life that they also love. Another uh, a really good uh, example of that that KFC had done was, I think it was Days of Our Lives. Um, at the time, George Hamilton was the colonel. And I forget if it was Wyden and Kennedy or our media agency at the time, Spark, who came to us and said, hey, we have this opportunity to have Colonel Sanders be an actual character in the soap opera. Uh, and I don't know if you guys have seen it or not, um, but uh, <laughs> it, was, it, was a very, it was a very intriguing uh, sort of a partnership where soap opera fans are incredibly uh, rabid. They're, they're some of the most addicted just like out there, like loyal fan base that you could ever run into. And our creative agency, Wyden Kennedy, was able to research the soap opera sort of landscape, figure out the proper characters for Colonel Sanders to interact with, and then actually created portions of the story that he interacted with that are still on the show today. So the, the, the plot of it was there's two women, I want to say one of them was a reporter, and I forget what the other uh, one did. They're talking, one of them gets a phone call or text from Colonel Sanders, uh, and then Colonel Sanders pops over with a bucket of chicken, uh, and then they have a conversation where he talks about how he interacted with like a spy agency that's part of the show. And then also dropped the name of some like villains that are on the show. And then uh, he asked one of the people to keep the secret recipe safe, so she took a book off the shelf, slid the secret recipe in there. And I believe to this day that book is still there. So technically, Colonel Sanders' secret recipe is still on that set. <laughs> so like this to like you or me probably isn't the like biggest thing in the world. Because you're like, oh yeah, like, I guess that kind of makes sense. But uh, you know, people people get incredibly excited when you 
as a brand see another aspect of their life or another interest that they have and then are able to interact with it and make it better than it previously was. Hmm. And being able to do that is something that outside of just a QSR, anybody who's doing any sort of activation like that needs to consider when they're going forward. Yeah, and I, I think that's something higher ed can learn so much from because we, we have our populations, you know, our alumni aside, but you know, current students they're they're a captive audience on our campus, and there's so many opportunities to provide that that moment of delight from you know some sort of activation on campus. I know Texas A&M sent some really cool stuff with like having claw machines on campus with like their mascot in there just popping up at random spots throughout the beginning of welcome week but there's so many opportunities for that and i think we we miss a lot of them of of actually having digital and in-person activations coincide and i I think we uh kind of miss that in higher ed a little bit yeah and that's the in-person aspect is something that is i would say even outside of higher end just in marketing in general missed quite a bit. There's a lot of really good ideas out there that don't feel real because there's no real physical aspect to it. So with the majority of the stuff that I've worked on, and I learned this from, I think it was John, who was like our account person at Wyden Kennedy, he would always say, let's make a physical aspect of this in order to make it real. So even if it's just like, I don't know, uh, Long John Silver's branded, I don't know, car, like, let's say we made like a car, we made like a whole bunch of like DeLorean-esque style graphics, but it was actually like a pirate ship with wheels uh, and we'd drive around throughout social. Like, let's say we create a whole bunch of digital stuff for that. That's cool. Like, that's like a digital thing that exists. But if we are able to cr- actually create one of those cars, just one of them, and actually drive it, uh, be able to meet up with press, be able to drive it around town then it stops being a concept and becomes a reality. And that's where it gets really cool because people realize, hey, like this stuff isn't just exist as a stunt, it exists in reality. You were able to do, and I'm assuming that, that you'll be able to do similar at Long John Silver's, but at KFC, like you were given latitude to do some crazy things over the time that you were there. And I'm wondering like, what's the overall thinking behind that? So like if you're coming from an industry that may not be able to view itself as irreverently or like feels like it has to take itself seriously. Is there a way of thinking about getting out of that or are, are there ways that other industries can make similar connections, but maybe, you know, maybe without having to be as, as outlandish or is the shock value, the thing that's really, you know, helpful in those cases. So, um, I was actually not the one doing the majority of that stuff. The way that marketing teams kind of work in brands is you have the brand, okay? So VP of marketing, CEO, CMO. So that's on the left side. On the right side, you have uh, your creative agency. Right. So the people on the left side who are brand side, they want sales, they want marketing, they just want word out there that surrounds the company's values. On the creative side, they just want to do cool stuff. Yeah. That's it. My job is to sit in the middle and take whatever cool stuff the creative agency wants to do and figure out how to keep that cool while still accomplishing the goals of the left side. And that's, that's really where it gets complicated 
because business people tend not to be creatives and creatives tend not to be business people. Sure, yeah. So uh, a lot of the time I would find myself being pitched by the creative agency to do an idea. And this is true uh, at Longhorn Steakhouse and also true with Long John Silver's. And then my job is to figure out how we can position that so that the people on the business side will understand that this is good for business or shift it enough to be like, okay, this is how we can accomplish uh, what we need to as a brand, but still being able to do cool stuff to get attention. Like you can do a whole bunch of cool stuff to get attention. One of the big trends, and I'm sure it's still going on with creative agencies, uh, is uh, how can you like infuse whatever product you're creating with marijuana? Because now that right. marijuana is being legalized, like that's a huge thing. If you can make like, you know, a marijuana Mountain Dew, uh, will that be big? Will that explode? However, it's very difficult to align that to any sort of brand's values mm. outside of maybe White Castle. I feel like White Castle could probably get away with it. So figuring out how, how to massage creative people to get to that business outcome or how to massage business goals to make them fit into a concept that's going to be absolutely awesome ends up being the challenge. Hmm. I think that's, that's an important thing to note because one thing I see a lot of when I, I talk to, especially I go out to a lot of classes and talk to college students who want to go into social media or go into marketing. And when I ask them, you know, well, what brands do you follow and who do you, who do you like or, or what, what advice do you have for our university social media? What would you like to see from us? And inevitably they always tell us they want us to be more snarky like Wendy's. And I roll my eyes every time because I'm like, well, do you really want your university dunking on you? You know, that brand voice may work in one area, but it's not something that you can just do all out and you have to work towards a goal. And sometimes doing those outlandish things are incredible, but it's not for everybody. I think it's, right. there's a lot of copycats out there too that think, okay, well, this is just what uh, we do. So what advice would you give to you know, a university marketing team or you know, smaller, smaller business or organization who's looking to find their own unique voice on social media or, or, or digital in general? Okay, so with the Wendy's example, that's something that I've heard a lot. Any brand needs to find their voice. Uh, brand voice is just a very real thing. I think there's a chart of it somewhere out there where you have to pick four attributes and then you can apply that to create a brand voice. And there's a lot of different ones out there. So Wendy's is out there. They're like uh, snarky, sassy, snippy. I think probably one more thing that starts with S. Nike is a really interesting one because they're inspirational, they're empowering. KFC, when I was there, focused very much so on sort of a, uh, we were just trying to be like an old, like a door-to-door -door chicken salesman uh, was kind of like the theme that we had with that. At Longhorn Steakhouse, it was the mysterious stranger from the Big Lebowski. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yep. No, that was my brand voice for TechStot. Yep. <laughs> um, at UCA for us, it's the Mythbusters build team. And, uh, and currently, uh, Long John Silver's brand voice is uh, Buddy the Sea Elf. So Buddy <laughs> yes. from the film Elf, but he's sea-themed. <laughs> <laughs> But that helps out so much when you can kind of pick a character and especially, and go you know, it, yeah. I'm a team, I'm a team of one where if I'm, t I'm taking three days off next week. So, you know, my boss is taking the reins. I can just say, you know, Mythbusters build team and automatically he knows kind of the voice to assume. So it's a useful strategy, I think, to have. Yeah, it's great for content creation, copywriting, and then also for response. Uh, because a lot of people do get sucked into that. Oh, like, it'd be really cool to say this mean thing to this person. But 
I, I read a study and I'm sure somebody who's listening to your podcast is going to research this. I haven't looked into it for a while, so I might've dreamed up the study, but somebody <laughs> did a research study on like whether or not Wendy's snarky attitude ended up contributing to sales. And it, there, there was not a correlation that was found there. So what that means is that does it get attention? Yes. Does it generate sales or income, which at the end of the day is what we're trying to do? No. So maybe the social voice brand affinity was a thumbs up, but if somebody is at a stoplight and to the left is a Wendy's and to the right is the Burger King, if that voice isn't going to help you go left, then it doesn't matter. Like it's not, it's not contributing to the goals at the end of the day. You've kind of taken the words out of my mouth <laughs> right, right there. Cause <laughs> it, it's, it's something I, I hear so often and, and I, I see often in, in kind of the world of social media where you know, there, there are times I, I think we, we've seen something like Wendy's and gone as a personal social media manager going, oh, I wish I had the leeway to say that to to somebody on social. But it's not the best thing for our brand in particular and kind of being aware of that. And that kind of goes back to what you're saying about hashtag holidays, too, where, you know, do those fit your voice, you know, or are you doing it? you know, content for content's sake, posting for National Donut Day when you're a university. It doesn't really... Posting for work. National Donut Day when you're not going to post for National IPA Day, which was, what, yesterday? <laughs> oh, was it? <laughs> um, so well, I, I think there's also a part of this, too, where in higher ed, like, you know, we talk about the homogeneity of higher ed websites, but I think there's a level of that in how institutions tend to present themselves. And it's, I wonder if it's more a matter of finding those unique traits and surfacing them into a voice or into this, the type of content that you're creating on social platforms, creating for your, your websites and web pages and, and other digital properties versus just trying to be, you know, JS, you and I have said this a lot. It's like, are you, are you marketing the concept of going to college or are you marketing your own college? And, and how do you, how do you differentiate that stuff and, and set yourself apart? And I think, you know, I mean, higher ed's kind of a crowded market. There are a lot of, a lot of voices there, but kind of the same thing in food service in general. Like there's, there's a lot of restaurants, you know, like, you know, get, getting a QSR, it's probably a little, you know, a little less, like there's a defined brands there, but still you've got to find a way to, to be unique. And, and like you were saying, Bentley, make that person turn left when they're coming up against, you know, a choice between your establishment and another one across the street. So what you're referring to is, uh, is just value proposition. Yeah. So there's going to always be a need out there to advertise college as a concept, to advertise a brewery as a concept, to advertise fast food as a concept. The secondary messaging on that is, okay, you need to go to college. This is why you should go to this college. That is something that needs to be out there. And then also messaging around um, assuming people have already gotten step one, which is you should go to college or you should eat fast food. That's when you put content out there that is already assuming that people uh, know that stuff. And that's when it gets it can get pretty complicated. And that's also where data in general on the internet comes into handy. Being able to target people who you know are already affiliated with your brand, people who have already raised their hands saying they're interested in what you're doing. And that way you can dig deeper into you know the conversation. When I did work in higher ed myself, I, I started working for my college's hybrid program. So one year was people were doing it online and then second the second year 
Oh no, it was a one-year program. First semester was online, a second and third semester were in person. And figuring out how to propose that during a time when our leadership was very much so against online classes. It was an art school. They were very much so like, oh, we need to be, we need people in front of you. We, we need teachers to be in front of their students. How are they going to connect otherwise? But then also convincing students that what you want to achieve is capable on a digital platform mm. uh, was a challenge. And it still is a challenge. There's a lot of people who nowadays don't think they can do a digital class because they don't feel like they're, they have enough discipline or they'll have enough resources or they'll learn enough at the end of the day. And all, all of these sort of layers need to be addressed and need to be figured out. But you, you have to look at it as a multi-touch point system. There's a, some sort of marketing rule out there where I think it takes seven impressions in order to generate one uh, recall. So if you get one ad in front of somebody or have like one touch point, likely they're not going to remember you. But after seven times, that's when they're going to remember you and start to consider you. Uh, and the same is true for any sort of sale out there. Heck, I, I, I would argue the same is probably true with like online dating. Like You probably have to have at least seven messages back and forth in order to generate an actual connection. So like knowing that and knowing that likely social is not going to be that one touch point seven times, you need to be able to come at it from all different angles. And with these different angles, you can provide different value propositions each time as long as they're all tied to the same theme. Yeah, the online experience is a big issue right now, of course. And that kind of makes me think too, not just, just getting people to sign up for, for online courses. Right now, we've got so many students who are, every campus is at a different state right now and some are in flux. So it may, you know, they're planning on returning to, to university and they may be doing in-person, they may be doing hybrid, they may be going all online, but they're, they're already enrolled in our universities and we want to keep them connected. And I think that kind of goes back to, you know, one way we could do this is kind of going back to what you're saying earlier is finding some of those those moments of delight where maybe they can't come to our campus, but they can see some sort of representation in another way, you know, I, I, I mean, I'm never going to get my mascot on General Hospital, but like finding finding some sort of uh, an Easter egg to kind of create an affinity for 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 our students. Do you have any thoughts and ideas of how, how universities might be able to do something like that? Yeah, most certainly. So I would argue that you might be able to actually get your mascot on General Hospital. So the, the concept of product placement, which that General Hospital idea was, has been going back to like the 50s. So it's a pretty regular concept in anything that you watch, there's going to be product placement. I was just watching the New York Islanders who just won a 5-1 against the Florida Panthers, and now they're <laughs> a seed in the playoffs. But, you know, the entire arena is lined with advertising there. I watched Shazam, the movie, the other day, and there was a, uh, a I think it was a burger company that, like, the police were eating, and there was a very prominently featured soda cup there. I want to say it's Bud Light is the sponsor for It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and that's the only beer that they're actually going to drink on screen. Um, <laughs> so all of these various creative outlets need physical things involved in that. It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, another great example. Uh, uh, they had, um, oh, what's the name of that weird green thing? The, fana the, Philly, the fanatic. fanatic. The Philly Fanatic. They had uh, an episode with, with him on it. Realistically, they, you know, they, they could have had it be anything else, but they, they need those sort of bits of reality because every Phillies fan, as soon as they saw that, I can guarantee got excited. So if you're able to figure out what that niche is, what's that connection 
between your college and some sort of creative outlet, uh, then you can do it. What, uh, uh, what is your college uh, sort of like, what, what are their best programs, I guess? We're really big on nursing right now, and we've got a, a large business school. Okay, so like, I, I actually don't know a lot about nursing, and I guess you can't really like brand IV bags, but the, the immediate thing that came into mind would just be like the donation side of things. So doing food donations hmm. to nurses that are currently working because they're essential workers right now. Uh, a lot of fast food places have been doing that, and it's just a great way to get sort of like that welcome news out there. But if you approach any sort of local or perhaps even national production company, that you think there could be a connection with your school, they would at least kind of throw that into consideration. And it might come at a cost. Uh, that general hospital thing wasn't free. WWE wasn't free, but it definitely ended up paying itself off, you know, a thousandfold. Well, and two, you know, it doesn't have to always be something enormous or, you know, it doesn't have to be at general hospital level or, uh, you know, your mascot as a character on there and even for smaller schools it can go a long way you know one example uh we had an alumnus who worked on okay, t- I, I i shouldn't say how bad the movie was but it, it wasn't quite a big hit but they were on on the nicholas cage left behind movie they, uh, they worked on set <laughs> and uh got one of the characters to wear a uca jacket not even like a full you know giant logo on there just just over the the shirt pocket and our students went nuts for it when we announced it just because one we're not a major university like a a texas a&m or a ut austin that everybody knows the mascot and everybody knows you know the school so for a smaller university those students seeing their university logo on even a a smaller motion pitch a nick cage movie right still very cool (laughs) it was a big deal for them so you know reaching out to to your alumni and finding some of those opportunities for for you know i i don't think i've ever i've heard people talk about product placement much in higher ed but i i think there's a big avenue for it yeah most certainly and you know people are very excited to talk about the colleges that they graduated from i know the majority of alumni programs will just send out a uh, letter maybe once a year or twice a year asking for donations to the college. And I certainly know mine does. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I haven't given to it. And I can't see myself giving to it anytime soon. But if they instead asked me to come in and give like a uh, talk to some of the students, I would consider that. If they asked me to do like a video testimonial for uh, what was valuable about going there, that's something that I would do. And I am by no means a famous person, but if you had your friend who worked with Nick Cage do it, I don't know if he had any screen time or if he was behind the camera, but that's something definitely to consider putting out there. Testimonials and first person, um, actual real people speaking uh, about their experiences, whether it's going to a school or uh, honestly even getting team members into our restaurants. It's an incredibly important thing. One of the mm-hmm. things I really valued about Longhorn Steakhouse uh, was they were incredibly team member centric and they have something called the Steakmaster series where there's various challenges for cooking steaks in our restaurants and all the grill masters compete in it and then each district nominates or ends up getting one person who goes to Orlando, Florida, gets a full expense paid trip there, uh, and then they get to grill steaks and then give it to the C-suite of uh, Longhorn Steakhouse. And then the winners get, I want to say it's like $10,000 and like a week free vacation in Disney or something like that. 
So what that ends up doing is being uh, good content for social because it shows, hey, we actually care about our team members. We're not just saying this. And then it also uh, ends up being direct people who work with us and for us saying how good it is to work with us and for us. And that that's, you know, th those testimonials, there's a reason why websites still have testimonials. There's a reason why movie posters uh, still have quotes on them. Um, it's because people trust actual people talking. That recommendation from a friend or at least a known entity is always going to be better than any sort of commercial that can be put out there. Awesome. Yeah, I think that that covers it. That's awesome. I, I would feel remiss, though, if we, I, I didn't say that the 11 herbs and spices <laughs> following is one of my favorite social media things that's ever happened. And, and, and I, I, I'm a snob about social media stuff. Like to me, that was, that, that's absolute gold. I loved it. Well, the, uh, the funny thing about that was, uh, when I first got hired at KFC, I got put down in front of a computer during my second week. Cause they didn't really know what to do with me. It was a new role that they had made. So, uh, my boss put me down in front of the computer. It was just like, Hey, I have a whole day of meetings. Uh, can you just like look at our social profiles and digital properties and like, what would you do to plus them up? So one of my recommendations was to, uh, at the time, I think we were following 35,000 people on Twitter. Uh, I said, okay, like, why don't we just like unfollow all these people and let's just follow 11 people. We can either make it like a bunch of team members. It could be really people that are actually like important to KFC history, or maybe we could just follow salt and pepper and like people named like Rosemary Time and whatnot. My boss was just like, okay, cool, pitch it to the creative agency. So I gave it to the creative agency. They said, we like this concept, but like, let's make it the Five Spice Girls and Six Guys Named Herb. And I said, go for it. <laughs> so then between the creative agency and myself, we unfollowed everybody. I personally unfollowed about 5,000 people. Twitter does not have a bulk unfollow. Even if you spend millions of dollars with them, there's no way to bulk unfollow, so it was a very manual process. Um, and then even when you get to zero, we had to wait several months uh, to start following people because if you deactivate your profile or get it suspended and then it gets reactivated, you get added back into that follow list. So we'd go like three days where we were at zero and then all of a sudden somebody would pop up. And generally speaking, the accounts that get temporarily deactivated do so for causes that you don't really want to be associated with a brand. So it ended up taking, I don't know, maybe six months in total to actually get to it. But then when we finally got to it, I remember I went up to the VP of marketing and I was just like, hey, George, like, look, look, at, look at what we did. And then I showed it to him and he just went, oh, yeah, that's, that's funny. Uh, and then uh, I went up to our PR people and I was just like, Lori, look, look at this. And she goes, yeah, that's funny. Like, I don't, I don't know if there's a story in there, um, but yeah, it's funny. So for about three months after that, it was just my bar joke. <laughs> so like uh people would be like oh what do you do for a living and then i'd say go to kfc's twitter and see who we follow and then uh the the day that it exploded was when uh, buzzfeed had written an article about it a few other people had discovered it previously but buzzfeed ended up getting wind of it and then it just absolutely exploded and became the biggest social activation that kfc had ever done for effectively zero dollars yeah and it's so subtle is what i appreciate about it and i think a lot of people do is that you know it, it was there for a while before anybody really noticed it. And, and kind of like you said, I don't think, you know, you, you take it to your boss, like, oh, whatever. But hey, it's, it's such a such a clever use of that real estate to, to, to make an impact. I, it's, it's, it's really one of my favorite moments on social media. 
Thanks, man. Yeah, it was. It's definitely lightning in a bottle, uh, and uh, will likely never be able to be recreated. Uh, but I, I'm glad to have been a part of it. Well, you were all really smart to capitalize on it too, with with you know getting that oil painting done and everything like that. I that seems like one of the kind of the turning points in in how KFC's Twitter voice entered the the mass uh, the mass noticeable mind of the consumers, sort of. Well, that 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 one hundred percent was uh, Wine and Kennedy was able to execute that very very quickly. I think they yeah. ended up getting that painted in five or seven days. Uh, and I remember we had a huge we had a huge meeting about it. That's kind of like one of the things you don't realize, like before you start to work in this industry, how many meetings you have about things that are really effectively stupid. Yeah. yeah. And we had like thousands of dollars worth of salaries, like sitting in a room, being like, okay, how can we reward this person? My idea was just to get a giant trophy because I think trophies are funny. And then uh, Wyden Kennedy was just like, hey, listen, we have this oil painting done. And then there was a huge debate whether they were going to be able to get it done in time. But <laughs> they, they were absolutely masterful about planning out. Like, there's like a little like Twitter bluebird in there. There's like a Loch Ness monster. There's a, a whole bunch of Easter eggs in that painting itself. And then that did start to become part of the strategy while I was still there. And I don't know if they're still continuing it or not, where there, even when I left, there was a few things that we had done that still hadn't really been figured out or discovered. Um, and I'm not going <laughs> to blow any of it on, the, on, on this podcast. No, of course not. But like, there's, there's definitely some funny stuff that was left behind and hopefully still continues to happen over on that side. Well, that brings up a really good point, and, and I'll let you go right after this, but I want to ask you, you know, you've talked about this, your working relationship with your agency, and I think in, in higher ed, we see a lot of, of marketing departments working alongside agencies and not having the best relationship or being able to express their needs to the agency or, or, or vice versa. So do you have any advice for establishing a better relationship with, with the agency that you're working with? So one of the things that I think ended up working out really well for us was that I was the middle man between business side and creative side. A lot of people or a lot of the companies end up cutting out that middleman who can sort of resolve both things because I exist in a very like weird and stupid world. <laughs> we all do. We're like, um, so like if you, if you go on like Long John Silver's like uh, Instagram feed, you can very clearly see where I started working for the company. And uh, uh, that's stuff that I primarily just did. But when you have like an entire team of creatives working, they end up coming with up with like absolutely wonderful, brilliant, crazy ideas. But the business people are, they don't think, oh wow, this is just absolutely amazing. They think, how is this going to contribute to the bottom line? How is this going to get us to accomplish our business goals? And if you don't have somebody either on the creative side or on the brand side who can resolve those two things, then you just get disagreement and discord. The company is not happy with the agency. The agency is not happy with the company. And figuring out how to create that bridge is the most important thing in the world. And hopefully some of your listeners will start to like look at brands and then figure out who their agency of record is, see what their agency of record celebrates, and then see what the brand is actually putting out. Hmm. And when there's discord between the two, when the two don't match up, chances are somebody in that relationship just isn't happy. Uh, so something there is, is not coming together. You're not making music together. They're just sort of going through the motions and probably butting heads more than one would think. That's awesome. That helps out so much. I appreciate that. Yeah, and one more thing I do want to bring up. So one of my favorite social interactions was when I was at KFC. A, a friend of mine, I think he still is the number seven Smash Brothers player for Sonic. Super Smash Brothers players for Sonic. 
and uh, he uh, reached out to me. He works for Crunchyroll now, but he reached out to me and was just like, hey, man, like I, I was thinking about just like tweeting at KFC. Would you mind responding? And I'm like, sure. What are you going to ask? He's, he's like, oh, I'm just going to ask, like, who do you main? Uh, I don't play Smash Brothers, so I don't know what that means. <laughs> so I, I looked into it, tried to, like, figure out all the different characters that were in it and saw one that kind of looked like a chicken named Falco. And then um, when he uh, sent me a Twitter saying, like, hey, Colonel Sanders, who do you main? Uh, I just said Falco and then something about how he reminds me of chicken. And then that ended up blowing up because Smash, <laughs> this is one of those things where, like, uh, maybe not partnerships, but at least uh, recognizing other people's industries and sort of interests ends up creating brand affinity between the two uh, brands. So uh, that, that ended up absolutely exploding where, you know, a whole bunch of blue check people would uh, like and retweet it. And then for at least two years, people would just message KFC's account saying like, hey, who do you main in? And then would uh, plug in some sort of video game. But that type of stuff, like super small, super light lift, but it shows that you recognize who your consumers are and then just create sort of those, those likes, not just with like a little heart, but with a, you look at the brand and say like, oh yeah, that's the brand for me. That's awesome, yeah. And, and there's so many, I think, higher ed, we have so many opportunities for you that, especially with, with our audiences. So again, I, I think those little light lifts go so far. Yeah, most certainly. Thank you so much for listening to the Thought Feeder podcast. If you enjoy listening to our show, we would appreciate a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. We'd appreciate a follow on Spotify. You can follow us. Actually, we're everywhere you you listen to podcasts. I mean, if you listen to podcasts on three different apps, we're probably in all three of those apps. In any case, we do appreciate you listening. And we want to say an extra special thank you to Bentley for being on the show today and giving us his insight into digital marketing and social media. Thanks a ton, Bentley. We appreciate you. Thank you. Thought Feeder is a production of University Insight. 